Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Chris Bishop, managing partner of Slater Heels Solicitors. Slater Heels Solicitors is a full-service law firm with offices in Manchester, Sale, and Temperley. Chris, hello. Morning, Matthew. Morning. Thank you for coming on the show today. We might as well crack straight on. What does the word leader mean to you? I have a very personal uh, view that a leader is somebody who runs by example, that if I'm going to expect people to perform to the levels I want, then I've got to be willing to act that way myself at all times, whether that be in my work life or life outside of work. So any interaction with my uh, colleagues, I should I should behave in such a way that reflects the standards that we expect of ourselves. Absolutely, leading by example is a is a fantastic way of leading a team. It gives them a real uh, framework uh, to live up to. Uh, how else would you describe your personal leadership style? Uh, in the last year or so, we spent quite a bit of time um, looking at the purpose of the business. Um, we, I was always very impressed by the Simon Sinek. Um, TED Talk around the why and the why of a business. And I think after many years of our business growing and we felt we had a special place, a, a, a warm place to work, a place where people were happy to come and work and do good quality work, perhaps that had evolved without much thought. It, it, it's, uh, there was a natural evolution to that because if you have a lot of good people, you tend to attract good people. And, and in the interviewing process, the people who are coming and want to work with us who shared our values seem to be the ones we wanted to employ. So that kind of created a virtuous cycle of uh, employing people that I really liked working with who impressed me, both the quality of their work, but also their behaviours. Um, so I think as a leader, once we started looking at the purpose of the business and trying to put more of a, a label on that, the, the, the firm's values and ethos became core to everything we did. So any decision, we went back to thinking about those core values and then work out from there as to the you know, the what and the how. Um, in the Simon Sinek uh, analogy was how we started to frame all the questions affecting the business. Then we became a much bigger business over the last few years. We've grown fairly substantially from maybe a, a modest small law firm to a medium-sized law firm in the, in the terminology of our sector. Um, and we've managed to do that, hopefully, whilst that, without losing the um, the special personal qualities that should apply to all the people who work with us. So with that growth, what are the challenges uh, involved uh, in leading a team through that period of transition? The, I suppose, maintaining clarity uh, around your vision and, uh, and strategic direction. As you get bigger, then it's important that I can delegate out more and more of the executive functions. Um, we, we've had to build a proper executive board. Um, there's always a lovely phrase around, you know, I think it's good leaders. Um, they don't create followers. They create other good leaders. I've forgotten who the, the quote was. But that, that's been a big thing for me to kind of trust other senior management to take responsibility for parts of the executive function uh, and to implement those in this in a, in a in a style and uh, that I I I and the 
the owners of the business approve of because this, you know, if I if I have my own um, distinct vision and strategic direction and that's shared by the other owners of the business and, and it's consistent with the way we've grown over the years, we're very proud of then. If you have other senior leaders who perhaps behave in a different way, then that could undermine much of what we've done. So the I think for me as a leader, more and more, I've had to learn to delegate, learn to pass on some of the tasks because you couldn't, you couldn't realistically um, manage 180 people as we are spread across four different sites if you were doing it all yourself. But I need to trust that my senior management are their behaviours and what their uh, what trickles down to the staff is consistent with perhaps um, the, the behaviours that I've always set for myself and uh, and the leaders. We're unusual in, in a law firm because we have grown from a traditional partnership. So you, you do sometimes end up with quite a paternalistic approach to the business because you feel very much like it's a family you own, mm-hmm. the business. Um, that creates a certain, for positive or negative, that can create a certain... Um, characteristic to your business um it can be it can be very reflective of that senior management team uh we are as we've got bigger we've recognized the need to move more to a, um, an executive management board uh perhaps with the owners of the business not always having control of the day-to-day running of the business they would sit as really the the shareholders in the business and would have to accept that your senior finance and senior hr uh, they're like people who are non-lawyers will be doing a lot of the running of this business. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in the old days, lawyers strangely matured from being a good lawyer to thinking they could be a good manager, which was a, a peculiarity to our sector. Being a good lawyer doesn't always make you a good manager. So it's <laughs> important identifying your skills and weaknesses. Yeah. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I went when I became managing partner in the run-up to taking on the management partner role, uh, best part of 10 years ago, I went back to university to do a, a postgraduate diploma in, in practice management to learn the broader management skills uh, insofar as those can be in part trained and to give you a, a different approach to how you run a business rather than coming to it as a purely a lawyer who spent many years as a dispute resolution lawyer. Uh, it gives you a certain skill set that might be useful for parts of the management of the business but isn't useful other elements of management so I, I, I again as a leader perhaps you recognize the need for constant constant training coaching mentoring to learn lots of other soft skills around how you might be a good leader well let's go back to the beginning uh, when you first started out in your career was there a particular influence on you uh, that made you the leader that you are today I, I don't think the influences on leadership came from within my working career because I've always worked for, I've been with the business that I'm with now for the best part of 30 years. I came here as a, a, to complete my training contract and I've worked for it. And the first 20 years of my life were broadly spent concentrating on being a good lawyer uh, and also I've become a partner and, and taken a bit of the global responsibility for some partnership decisions. But we were a firm that operated like so many law firms that we we were lawyers all day and then sometimes we met at the end of the day to discuss management decisions and it would be, you know, in, in hindsight, that was how most firms worked. It was quite amateurish. It did work because you were making a reasonable income, but there was not a lot of thought went into um, having clarity of vision and strategic direction. 
my so the influences I've taken have often come from outside of the law firm and people that I've come to know either through friendships or clients who run businesses um, and who are a long way ahead of the law often in, 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 in spending time concentrating on strategy, not getting lost in the minutiae of day-to-day um, you know, client management, but actually looking at the bigger picture. And that was, that my influences have come from people outside of the law, I'd say, in that way. So it's very important to identify those skill sets. And do you find that when you're taking on uh, new people that you are looking in depth in their background uh, as to their leadership possibilities, or are you forming those in-house? Over the last two or three years, more attention has gone into bringing in new people who I believe could evolve into the leaders of our business for the future. That wasn't something we again, it wasn't something that we paid enough attention to a few years ago and perhaps I'm now starting to think about a few years down the line who will be the, you know, if I'm no longer going to be a leader at some point, will the firm in my mind be in safe hands and will the, you know, the current owners of the business, will they see the firms being in safe hands? I, I accept that the next leaders of our business might have different management styles and, styles and different skills uh, and that's probably important not to hold on to the idea that the business will always look just like the business that we have at the moment that might be very reflective of my I'm um, my management style perhaps reflects my lifestyle which is I'm very outgoing, very sociable Um, I put a huge amount of stall on community and and, and the like so quite a liberal background and that floats into a lot of the decisions we make as a business I may have the next managing partner may not have quite the same approach but I think the purpose of the business can't you know can't move without the buy-in of everyone so I would hope that the work we're doing at the minute which is a whole business we share uh, a, a purpose and a strategic vision means that even if the next manager tends to be somebody who uh, is perhaps who puts more influence on certain other uh, performance indicators that doesn't, we don't lose the soul of what the business is. Um, so again, I think my leadership at the minute is becoming increasingly important. I think about legacy as well. Um, and, and and that's not to suggest that this business is run solely by myself, you know, a managing partner with a, the seven uh, owners of the business. And we do share responsibility for decisions, but um, the, the structures that I lead on all matters on a sort of day-to-day basis, but have always got their, both their backing and input and on occasion, their challenge if they, if they disagree with my approach, and that so it is a it becomes quite a democratic system of, of management. But um, it's not a slow system of management because I've got the uh, delegated power to to move things on quickly when we need to. Well, Chris, unfortunately, our time together has come to its close. It's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope you uh, come back on the podcast very soon so we can continue our conversation. Chris, thank you. I'd love to. Thank you, Matthew. That was Chris Bishop, managing partner of Slater Heels Solicitors. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. 
Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, <laughs> I guess, had one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with, he'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like, uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is 
at the top is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, 
Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had the, the impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now, but it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, 
Well, you want me to tell you if you want. You want. You got time? I can tell I you if you want. Jeff, go on, go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing it at a dinner in, in the Channel Islands, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it, it, uh, um, it did make then again, a again, if, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch, is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm-hmm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely, probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude. Is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but. There's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and 
the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later. Well, I think we were I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about. Uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. The wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish. After '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. And there was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was. A big part, I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times, for the success of the team. We have some great players, you... we have some great players, of course, but without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is showed... the, word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. 
And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go with the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.